Thanks for tuning in. I'm Michael Watson, and this is the Influence Watch podcast. In this episode, a radical left pressure group calls for the government to censor the government. Labor union activists allege shenanigans in the succession to head the United Auto Workers amid its ongoing corruption scandal. And big labor and its congressional allies take aim at one of the few things making the ongoing pandemic lockdowns tolerable, independent contracting work. It's not every day that one sees an organization calling itself free press petitioning one arm of the government to censor the official statements of another arm of the government. But that is literally what happened late last week. Free Press, a left-wing to radical left advocacy organization pressuring for increased regulations on media outlets and the internet, petitioned the Federal Communications Commission, that is, the government, to either prohibit broadcast networks from airing the press briefings of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, that is, the government, because supposedly President Donald Trump said misleading things, or to require immediate live fact-checks. Laying aside whether or not this was simply a fundraising stunt, the FCC rejected the petition. Its general counsel argued, quote, We note that the president and members of the White House Coronavirus Task Force, including public health professionals, have held daily press conferences in which they exhaustively answer critical questions from the press. It is implausible, if not absurd, to suggest that broadcasters knowingly deceived the public by airing these press conferences or other statements by the president about COVID-19. Moreover, there is a strong argument that broadcasters are serving the public interest when they air live coverage of important news events, such as briefings by the president, the White House task force, and state governors, during a national emergency. So, yes, a group called Free Press demanded the government censor broadcasts of statements by the President of the United States, the Vice President of the United States, the White House's senior political appointed public health advisors like the Surgeon General and the Director of the Centers for Disease Control, and the senior civil servants providing public health advice, like Dr. Anthony Fauci of the National Institutes of Health and Dr. Deborah Birx of the U.S. State Department. In essence, because the President has been maybe too enthusiastic in rooting for the success of an ongoing experimental drug trial. Look, I'm not the president's biggest fan, and even I find that deranged. Fortunately, the FCC denied free press's censorship demand and deferred to broadcasters' judgment, and allowed them to decide whether the task force's briefings merit coverage. So who are these free press folks, anyway? Some might remember the group from the debate over net neutrality and the Obama administration-controlled FCC's Title II regulations that were later repealed after the Trump administration took control of the FCC. Free Press strongly supported the Obama-era rules, likely in no small part due to the socialist ideology of its co-founder, Robert McChesney, who once said that he was, quote, hesitant to say I'm not a Marxist, and praised so-called democratic socialism as, quote, a very good foundation for what we should be fighting for today. For good measure, its current president, Craig Aaron, was formerly managing editor of the labor-left social democratic publication In These Times. And Free Press's funding is also staunchly left progressive. George Soros's Open Society Foundations, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, the Pew Charitable Trusts, Pierre Amidar's Democracy Fund, and the Ford Foundation have all financially supported the group. So, institutional left progressives with an Orwellian name demanded censorship of the government's briefings and answers to the Free Press. Again, deranged. We mentioned in these times in the last item, but not everything in the magazine is socialist propaganda. It sometimes has good original reporting on the internal political battles for control of national labor unions. And this week, they've alleged a doozy based on board meeting transcripts available on request to dues-paid union members. Chris Brooks, a UAW member and writer for In These Times, 
obtained transcripts from the board meeting at which now-disgraced former UAW President Gary Jones, who is expected to plead guilty to federal financial crimes related to his time as a UAW officer, took an initially paid leave of absence amid the federal investigations, and the UAW named Rory Gamble, then Union Vice President for its Ford Division, interim president. Gamble was later chose to take the presidency on a permanent basis. The transcripts show an anomaly in how the Union's International Executive Board went about putting Jones on leave and appointed Gamble to the interim post. Apparently, Jones cast the decisive vote on a combined motion to place himself on paid leave and to nominate Gamble as the interim president. If that sounds unusual to you, it did to labor lawyers that Brooks talked to as well. One told Brooks that he would advise a member who objected to letting Jones vote on his paid leave of absence to, quote, read the part of the Labor Management Reporting and Disclosure Act as saying that he, that is Jones, can't vote in a matter in which he has a conflict of interest. So, with federal prosecutors all but openly considering a Teamster-style's takeover and supervisory regime over the UAW, and with the Detroit News reporting that the feds are investigating whether new President Rory Gamble engaged in alleged corruption in awarding contracts to union vendors— The words of a UAW member and critic of the Administrative Caucus, the faction within the UAW that has controlled senior appointments since the 1940s, interviewed by Brooks, definitely sound plausible. Quote, Most reformers come from outside, not the inside of a dictatorship. Gamble, like Jones, is backed by the Administrative Caucus, which critics decry as a top-down organization. And remember, Jones was once the clean outsider accountant and reformer. Turns out he wasn't. He was on the take himself. And in our final item, we turn to Big Labor and its allies on the House Education and Labor Committee, almost all of whom have received campaign contributions from the Service Employees International Union's PACs alone, who are looking to carry out former Chicago Mayor and Obama Administration Chief of Staff Rahm Emanuel's maxim, never let a serious crisis go to waste. Taking a page from California's controversial AB5 and the proposed PROACT Union wishlist legislation, House Democrats are reportedly seeking to include regulations on independent contracting in any fourth legislation to ease the economic impact of the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. Well, for now, the Education and Labor Committee is focusing on Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, regulations. The goal of labor and its allies is to end the gig economy and the independent contracting model on which it relies. Companies involved in this include DoorDash, Uber Eats, and Grubhub, which... If you can't tell, it's these independent contractor-reliant delivery services that are keeping restaurants afloat as governments order their dining rooms shuttered, and that allow at-risk people to stay home while receiving meal delivery or grocery delivery. In short, they're helping preserve the minimum standards of semi-normal life. Workers benefit from these arrangements, too. At a time when 17 million people have been forced out of work by order of the state, it is no time to make hiring and working even harder. For workers who are able to risk possible exposure to the virus, the ability to independently make money on the side could prove crucial to making rent, paying bills, and keeping what passes for their normal lives ongoing. Unfortunately for big labor and its allies in Congress, this worker independence is a problem. It is an alternative to the dues-paying cartel model that unions have operated under since the federal government recognized mandatory monopoly bargaining in the 1930s. So, as with the federal government worker unions that sought kickbacks in the third coronavirus relief bill that passed in late March, Big Labor's allies on the House Education and Labor Committee are promising changes to the independent contractor laws. And so, even as the public and as workers have become more reliant on independent contractor relationships, Big Labor and Congress are ultimately hoping to all but outlaw them, 
as AB5 did in California and the PRO Act would do at the federal level. In order to compel workers to pay dues under Big Labor's factory floor era business model. That's our show for this week. We encourage you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you have subscribed, thank you. And please leave us a five-star rating. We'll see you next week.